Today we're trying something a little bit different. We try to release new podcast episodes every Monday, but on occasion, uh, you know, due to the holiday or other scheduling issues, we can't. Uh, and sometimes I'll get emails or tweets from regular listeners, nice ones, but disappointed when we don't have a new episode up. So I thought we'd try something a little, a little different. This is officially our first unscripted episode. And what that is, it's going to be more of a free-flowing and less prepared conversation with some of our former guests and friends, as opposed to sort of the regular interviews that listeners may be used to, you know, where we do a lot of scheduling and research and writing a ton of questions and so forth, which is actually pretty time consuming. So when schedules get tough and time is limited, this is going to be sort of an alternative, a fun, hopefully still insightful, interesting uh, alternative. Our first unscripted episode with our first unscripted guest, the very funny, <laughs> very awesome Craig Doyle, writer and producer of NBC's Undateable. Thank you for coming on, Craig. Thank you. You were awesome. Yeah, great to be back on the uh, Scripts and Scribes Network uh, uh, to sling uh, more BS and 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 you know talk a little talk a little shop and and have some fun. It'd be great. Thanks yeah. for having me back, bud. No, awesome. Always, you're always welcome. Um, awesome. So what are you up to? Are you guys shooting? Are you guys working yet? Or no, not yet. So so um, you know so the uh, we got uh, you know we aired in the summer and the the numbers were were were, uh, were pretty good. You know we didn't have a lot of promotion, if any, from you know the, the big brass. It was all you know the, you know cre- creator Bill Lawrence and Adam Stekiel, their efforts, and they'll put together this stand up show with uh, some of the comics from the show. There's four of the comics from the show, Chris D'Elia, Brett Moore, and Rick Glassman, and Ron Funches. And they went out and they went to the affiliate markets where those affiliates have a big pull. And they, they did kind of, you know, something that was uh, a throwback idea. Um, Bill and Jeff Ingle, the other executive producer on, on the show, um, you know, were, are so savvy and know so much how TV works that I think that what they did is they, they went to the, the markets where those uh, those those affiliates mean something in, you know, in the bigger brass uh, to them. And they went and these guys, uh, because they're young and they love the show and they're hungry for it, they went out and, you know, made daily, you know, like their good day LA and, you know, whether it's Detroit or Columbus, Ohio, or wherever it is, those, 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 those significant markets. And they went out and they got in front of everybody and they were on their morning shows and they were themselves and their friends in real life. So it was natural chemistry and they did shows in the area and got a lot of support. So, um, our numbers turned out pretty good, you know, mm. considering it was almost like, you know, if there's some kind of bastardized way of grassroots, it was kind of Bill Lawrence's version of a grassroots thing and it turned out successfully and, uh, you know, it, it, it did well. And, and I thought that we were going to get good news soon. And then, uh, you know, uh, NBC has changed their model a little bit as far as the traditional, you know, uh, seasons, you know, I, I think all of them have, has been publicized on in the media, like, uh, when Kevin Riley was at Fox talking about, you know, no pilot season, mm-hmm, you know, kind of mm-hmm. developed year round. That's been in talks for in different iterations over the years in other, you know, different things. So, so we knew that like a traditional summer burnoff show where we were, in, you know, playing in June and stuff, uh, or May or June in that area, that we were were getting, um, uh, we were getting a. Um, a good, uh, we knew we weren't just a throwaway show. Uh, we knew that it, there was, they'd like the show and it was getting a chance, but it wasn't like we got the prime time spot. So we were kind of on the fence of like, is it coming or is it not? It did well, but it didn't do, you know, it didn't, it didn't do like blacklist numbers, but it wasn't in a position to do blacklist numbers. Right. The bar was relatively, you know, uh, adjusted to our height. And we, we, we definitely hit that high jump. So, uh, so we got the news July 31st, which is I think the last day the actors were under contract. So they waited to the last second, like <laughs> they often do. Uh-huh. And I was at a Dodger game with my kid. I ended up getting great seats. I was literally like second row from the uh, from like Matt Kemp, it warming up in the batter's <laughs> box, like spitting gum, and my phone starts blowing up. And I was paranoid. It was kind of funny. I was paranoid. with my son who's eight years old. And I'm like, you know what? We're probably on TV because these seats were so great. Like, I got them as a gift for my birthday way back. And we're probably on TV, and I'm the asshole on a phone. that everybody at home <laughs> is going, look at that motherfucker with his second row seats on his goddamn phone. Fucking right. Los Angeles asshole. And I'm like, so I was trying to not be that guy. and <laughs> But it was blowing up, so we got the good news that night. Um, and it was Clayton Kershaw threw a, a really good game, so that was a, that was it was kind of fun to watch. As he's going um, to, do. yeah, he's, he's going to. It's kind of automatic. It's yeah. like 
It's like he figured out the Nintendo, like the like the the, the button combination that right. just makes everybody swing and miss. Yeah, uh, so we watched, you know, we did that, and and it was really exciting. So, um, uh, from what I understand, is we're going to start probably doing pre-production here next month, um, and get on the air and get underway at the end of the year here, and try to get on in the early spring. So, uh, that's what I know. I don't know what's in stone yet, but uh, I'm excited to get back there with those guys and just uh, and those gals and just have a blast. Cause it's uh, you know, like what I talked about when we talked before, it's it's just a fun show to make. It's a really and I definitely want to have you come out and uh, experience it and meet Bill and some other guys do their thing because it's, uh, it's a trip to watch. It feels like an old-time, you know, uh, Bill was conscientious of that and Adam was as well, making it feel like a throwback environment. It's stand-ups being fun again on TV the way that Tim Allen was or what Bill Cosby was or, you know, Romano. It's like you kind of uh, these guys are being funny and there's a good uh good vibe and it's just a fun show and it moves quick it's not like one where you're doing 25 takes and it's you know it's uh, Bill's not stanley kubrick where he's like all right we need 20 things of shelly duvall opening and closing a door we don't need right, that right. so it moves quick and it's a fun show to be a part of and the audience is we have an amazing guy that works with the crowd That's and awesome. uh it's just a fun show so yeah so so the the long answer to short question is uh we're going to start here at the end of the year here and uh get keyed up to to put um New episodes on here in the beginning of the of January, beginning of the 2015. So, very cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I wrote three things down. That's it. I have a little note card. I didn't <laughs> do too much preparation for this because I know. Right. You know what? Craig's super funny. He'll make this whole thing entertaining. I talk and- so much. I yeah. It's gonna yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like a filibuster. I'll just sit there and talk, and you'll just kind of give me a red light like a flashlight at the you know at the comedy store and i'll i'll know when to shut up so I'm that's just, uh whatever I'm, you need i'm just gonna steve nash to your lebron i'm just gonna throw you a bunch of oops <laughs> and then let you slam dunk and, and uh, that'll be perfect. very nice right very nice um very nice one thing i wanted to ask you is is that in terms of the writer's room you guys are going back to uh-huh. unscripted soon and drama rooms, it's really about breaking story, about breaking the season, yeah. about breaking story, about forming the episodes and the season and, and keeping that cohesion. Um, For sure. I've heard, and again, maybe you can explain it a little bit, comedy writers rooms are a little bit different. It's really about jokes and, and, and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you know, my experience, I haven't worked on a television drama uh, one hour before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've helped out on certain things and definitely done a lot of you know features in different that are, you know, have different tones, whether they'd be more, uh, you know, comedic dramedy kind of things or whatever it may be. So, but yes, that is the perception and that's definitely the way, I mean, you know, drama writers tend to be, you know, playwrights and people who maybe novelists, you know, it's like you think about the wire and you hear about David Simon, like that he hired ex teachers and people who are Baltimore cops. And it's like, they're people that probably have more experience with the subject matter. You're like, oh, this guy used to be a lawyer, so he's on the David Kelly show about lawyers. You know, that's kind of the traditional, you know, um, trajectory for a lot of those kind of things. And I'm sure there's, you know, exceptions to the rule, but that's, you know, from what I understand, that's kind of the way it's kind of played out. But comedy rooms tend to be a bunch of crazy assholes, (laughs) you know, for the most part. There is something to that, you know, back of the classroom, you know, back of detention kind of vibe to it. I mean, and, you know, look, there's brilliant people. I, I think half of our staff were Ivy League or Northwestern or Stanford. It's like I've always worked and there's always been some kind of somebody that's been blue blood educated well beyond me that I always feel a little intimidated by who, you know, they've studied insane pieces of you know, literature or they, you know, they're lawyers themselves. I worked with an insanely funny guy, Vigil Patel, who's a writer on, I think this, this he's, a, he's working, I think, right now on Blackish, which is coming out on ABC, mm-hmm. which looks to be a really funny show from Larry uh, Wilmore and, and uh, Kenya Barris. And, and Vigil and I worked on a show called Family Fools a couple of years ago. He went to University of Pennsylvania, and he, his whole family is engineers, and he's an engineer. So it's like he has like a legitimate, like, hey, if I don't do this, I can go design, like, uh, you know, a, a fucking hydrogen bridge thing or something. You know, like you could do this. Like they have skill sets that are really, really crazy. So that definitely is. It's not like they just went and scooped up a bunch of losers at the DMV and said, "Oh, you guys are funny and making everybody laugh." But there's certainly DMV losers. I would put myself among that group that kind of you know make it in there. But the you know, um, the rooms I've been a part of and and, and my experience with them, you know, uh, whether they've been formally or informally, you know, working on comedy punch-up rooms for features. 
is it's a it's more of a you know a collegiate environment. Everybody is goofing around because it's funny. You're trying to find a lot of the stuff that you're trying to find. Uh, you know, comedically, yes, there is structure and those things are incredibly important and that's part of it. But it's you know it's people don't go to a sitcom to watch the story. You know, they go to laugh. So so if that's the priority. And, and you know, if I'm doing an episode, someone was doing writing an episode of you know, Boardwalk Empire, they're not going to laugh. There might be a funny scene in there, but it's about getting, you know, from point A to point B and surprising the audience and taking, you know, zigs and zags and doing things. So, you know, the the the, um, the, uh, uh, the intention is, is, is different. In a writer's room, because it's about it being funny and stuff like that, it is about, you know, comedy comes from the absurd and a lot of times it's personal stories. And, you know, specifically with Undateable, um, it's a dating show. It's about guys trying to find, you know, girls, like losers trying to find girls. And, and, and in the case of Bianca Kyle, like it's like, it's some, it's a, trying to find a guy. So it's about dating and, and the awkwardness of it. And the funny and, and relatable is the idea that we all have fucked up stories from when we were trying to, you know, we think we're awesome and we got shot down and it was kind of, you know, Bill Lawrence and Ezekiel, the creators of the show are incredibly, um, cognizant of, of mining that material from our own personal lives. And a lot of the stuff that we have, uh, in the show that made the show in the first season here, and then I, I assume we'll be going towards the second season as well, same kind of, um, you know, uh, MO, is that picking from our real lives and finding those kind of things. Yeah. With a, with a comedy writer's room, a lot of times it's, it's uh, you're waiting around a lot for notes from the network or the studio, the producers. So there's a lot of downtime, and you, you spend a lot of time with these people, and they're funny people by nature. So you end up, you know, they tell stories that are funny, and, you know, it, it becomes a, a silly room and there's a lot of, you know, um, uh, shenanigans and people doing pranks and, and different things like that and being silly. And that becomes part of it. And, and what's funny is Bill Lawrence, who's, you know, a titan in, in television, was right there amongst us all, you know, <laughs> and being right. silly and goofy like that, too. And I think that he realizes that, you know, you know, comedy is really hard and you got to have that kind of valve to release the, uh, the tension. So it's a lot of, you know, the, the makeup of the room is a lot of serious, but we get to work too. I mean, you're, 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 sometimes you'd be probably surprised you come into a comedy writer's room and you'd think that it was, you know, it looks like that scene when Obama sent in, you know, SEAL Team 6 for Bin Laden, that, that picture of everybody there. <laughs> right. They're looking at the monitor that seriously and there's Hillary Clinton and everybody's like watching me off and they're like, holy shit. And you're like, what do you guys, so focused on and you're like ah, we got a dick joke we just can't break <laughs> so you can get into something you'll see people get into that heavy of a of a um you know uh, of trying to fix the problem too because you know story story whether it's a drama or a comedy right you're you know you're trying to figure out you know human nature and intentions and dramatizing and surprising the audience and you know there's different ways to go about it but um in essence uh you know i you know the, again the short answer or long answer to a short question i didn't really feel like it's like a comedy room is, it needs to have that. It needs to have a little bit of a locker room in there. It needs to have a little bit of, you know, goofiness and stuff like that. So you're getting more of the truth in the human nature of, of writers and their personalities mapped onto the show um, more so than, you know, something where you're doing, you're, you're trying to create comedy by like a math problem. We're going, well, that would be funny because that's ironic in this way. It's like, you know, if I could sit there and take one of the other writers who had a horrible dating story and somehow map that onto our show and you can go, Oh God. And I did this. And it's something that's so funny because it really happened. There's something contagious and something that rings true to that when you actually bring to the stage and those, those pop more, you know, as opposed to comedy by numbers, I guess. So, um, yeah, but the drama, you know, drama rooms are, are traditionally that's, that's intention. If you're doing breaking bad, you're arcing longer arcs, you're doing things like that. So there's more of a, um, a Jenga to play there where something could, you know, you got to have a lot of people, um, diligently tracking all that stuff. And uh, maybe there's not as much room for somebody coming in and, you know, with their pants down <laughs> into the writer's room. Maybe less tolerance for that on uh, a Vince Gilligan room than there would be in, in, <laughs> in a sitcom room. So, I don't know. Vince um, seems like a really, really awesome guy. He does. He's he seems like the okay best guy that. ever. He probably hey, he seems like he's just as surprised as everybody else is at how, hey, isn't that great? He's yeah. like a good old boy and uh, you know, at the Emmys and his speeches, they're so, they seem so disarmed and, and, and genuine that you just love the guy more or you hate him more because you're like, God, a guy that cool has got that great of a show under his belt and he's that brilliant. He just kind of still has that Pollyanna kind of vibe to him. I know. It's um, like, pretty amazing. Yeah. And <laughs> has there ever been a 
joke so good or you know have you ever seen a that's a joke that's been so good but it doesn't fit in a scene so that you try to make the scene work around that joke or absolutely okay absolutely <laughs> i've seen it a bunch of different ways i mean there's times where we um in in uh, and i can just be for a uh, dateable bill lawrence has a thing kind of you know semi-famous amongst well famous amongst writers is look for him and normally that he has joke wall and the idea is that one of the walls of the writer's room is uh it's a blank white wall and if we're all just, you know, kibitzing and acting like goofballs, someone tells a story and someone says a line. What, here's an example. Like one of them, we were one of the writers on the show who, um, Jackie Clark, who I might have mentioned before, a hilarious woman, just a UCB performer, just absolute killer, just wonderful, just a, just a great person and wonderful friend. And she's awesome. She's from Boston and has this uh, kind of Southie, <laughs> vibe to her that she can hop into and be this kind of really brash. She's actually done some like web series stuff. She's hilarious. And she'll do these kind of pop in and it sounds like one of the sisters from the fighter, you know, like mm-hmm. the Boston yeah, yeah, yeah. rough chicks with six, you know, six cigarettes going at one time and whatever. Mm-hmm. And she, we, we, we were talking about uh celebrity fragrances one time. And we were talking about celebrity fragrances and one of hers was Dustin Pedroia from the Red Sox having one called chowder splash from <laughs> Dustin Pedroia. And, you know, out of context, you're like, yeah, it's funny, whatever. We were like in, you know, you get kind of room stoned where you're in a room for so long, everything's funny to you, you're punchy. We were like weeping. So we write on the wall. So you'll see up there in a non sequitur on the wall, you'll see chowder splash from Dustin Petroia. And you're like, you walk in, you go, what the fuck? What is that? So this wall, uh, Bill's thing is that energy. And kind of to your first question about, you know, the writer's room that energy that when we make each other laugh is something never to forget. You know, he's like, well, for, just try to use that, you know, as opposed to it just being a bunch of people, you know, laughing into the air with a, with a joke that goes away. Maybe there's a way of flipping it around and using it as a story or, or, or using it as a kernel for something or a one liner. And we used a lot of this stuff from the wall. So by the end of the, the series, uh, the first season, that wall was literally covered. It looked like, you know, one of the journals from Kevin Spacey in Seven. It's just covered with lines and weird things. And some things you'd read, you know, out of context, you go, that makes no sense. It's not funny at all. And we kind of go, oh, yeah, but that's what we were talking about. That's what we were talking about, like, uh, odd jobs. And that was like someone's first time job. Oh, maybe the character could do this. So there is a value to it. And, and, and Bill does that with all his rooms. And, uh, you know, you use stuff on the wall and sometimes you don't use stuff from the wall. But it's the idea of, that everything amongst these funny people, when you put them in a room and kind of shake it up like a soda, what's popping out is potentially usable. So let's not let it fly out, you know, and you have writers resistance who are taking notes and hopefully grabbing what you can out of the air and putting it into notes for the room. So you can go back and read it later, but they're human and they might miss something or they, they might've said the funny thing and not didn't write it down and it goes mm-hmm. on the wall. So, um, but, uh, but, uh, for sure there was, um, uh, you know, that was one of, that's one of Bill's things. It's that, that was a kind of a unique thing of his that I was surprised. It was a new thing to me. And then, you know, and there were some jokes from that wall that we found that, um, that we wanted to put in that we were like, that made us laugh, but it didn't quite fit in the scene. And, you know, there's times where, yeah, it's a tricky thing. I was talking to a friend about this, like when you're rewriting a scene, Sometimes let's say the scene is comedically is written. So let's say there's a three beat scene. You have a scene where it's like, there's my problem. This is what I'm going to do about it. And then you go out on a funny, you know, funny joke to end the scene. Right. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, you have to hit those three posts in the scene and the fodder in the middle of that scene might be, um, well, this character's there and he needs to say something here. or He's got his own story going on. So we'll kind of keep that in the air and whatever. Sometimes when you go back to that, you might have a killer joke in there that works. But then when you realize you've, you know, you've done a table read or you've done a run through, one of those jokes doesn't land or you need some more information to make the story make sense. All of a sudden that perfect joke doesn't play. So you could, there's, it could be a tilting a windmill thing where you try to force it in. And then all of a sudden it feels like, wow, now it looks like a, you know, it looks like a, um, an abscess tooth in the middle of this great scene, (laughs) or you go and go, all right, well, how do we make that work? And is there a way of kind of going backwards? So, uh, for the most part, jokes aren't precious. You know, I think a lot of writers learn now, especially in television. Um, you got to kill it. You got to be able to kill it and it's got to work this way. And, and, and you have to have the resolve in your, you know, in your, uh, 
abilities and, 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 and the knowledge of what you do, that you'll come up with another great joke. I mean, there's times where I was like, oh, that's so killer. And then it didn't get made it in. And I was like, oh, man. And then later on, I went back and I read, I was like, yeah, I probably didn't deserve to go in there. So, you know, um, or it was so good, but it didn't fit anymore because the scene changed. Because, you know, when they're human beings and when actors do it, you're like, wow, that's a little hard of a joke there for her. Mm-hmm. When she's supposed to be in the story, she's supposed to be a little, you know, sad. You know, would she be that sharp tongue there? You know, so you go, wow, it just totally doesn't fit anymore. So you move it around or you save it. And Bill's great at, um, Bill and Adam were really great about uh, salvaging things. So if we found a bit that we're like, hey, that joke's going to make it in, and you find it in another draft and another, you know, thing, like, oh, you know, we could do it, we could use it there. Um, you know, and we're like, okay, cool. So it got, it, it, you know, it got to live another day. But, uh, um, yes, I've seen, to answer the question far from it, yes, I've seen great <laughs> jokes where they just got, they just got, you know, they just found that they're just, you know, they were out of their time. It was like, oh, you're David Bowie and everyone else is, you know, the turtles. And they're like, where's this guy coming from? <laughs> so you get this guy that, you know, this great joke that, or, or, you know, especially, uh, there's writer's jokes. You know, we had there's jokes that are the writers all laugh at, but then mm-hmm. when you get it on the stage, it's clever, not ha ha. Right. So, you know, a lot of single camera comedy is a lot of clever jokes. You're not going, ah, you know, like a modern family is, is big jokes and you laugh out loud, mm-hmm. you know, a joke on a show like that show that was on HBO bored to death with Zach Galifianakis. It's more of a, you know, it's, it's a super clever, well-written show. You're not, you have some big laughs in there, but for the most part, a lot of the laughs were probably, stuff that you're like, wow, that was really clever. You're not laughing out loud, but you're delighted by it. And right. it doesn't mess up your experience. So sometimes, you know, we call those single camera jokes. They, they work when you're rhythmically changing them with camera. You're able to get a reaction from somebody. Whereas when you're in a, a multi-camera, you're doing a, you're shooting at three quarters of the person's body. You're not going to go and cut to their face for a close-up. It just doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it's not in the palette of the art. You know, you don't mm-hmm. do that. So it would be awkward. It would make you feel weird when you saw it. And you go, why are you there? We're always, you know, wide and big. Now you're popping in for this weird joke and you're like, eh, at that point maybe let the joke go and just, you know, find something a little bigger. So, um, yeah. So a lot of times those things, they either fall or survive based on, you know, how they fit into the bigger narrative. And, uh, uh, but there's times where I've definitely ones where I was like, yeah, I probably would have made it in. It would been really, really fun there. You want to get that on the floor and it didn't make it. And you just go, all right, I'll find another day. You know, right. save it for my one man, my one woman show. Right. Nice. <laughs> so. um, I had a question about the composition of a comedy writer's room, because I know in in the drama world, a lot of it yeah. is, is due to chemistry. They want people, you know, the showrunner wants people that he or she will get along with and, you know, won't drive yeah. them crazy. But also people with diverse backgrounds. Sure. Sometimes, obviously, like you had mentioned, with a specific knowledge of a subject matter like a lawyer or a law show or right. whatever, but also just diverse backgrounds, right. like yeah, absolutely. A, a mother of two children, you know, and a 20 something year old, and, you know, bring a whole bunch of right. different backgrounds to the show. Is it similar in comedy or is it just about funny people? Find the funniest people you can find I think into a room. It's very, very similar. I think that a lot of times, um, you know, a showrunner, you know, and again, it's a different type of, uh, the genres that you're doing. If you're doing family guy or uh, Simpsons where mm-hmm. you have people, that's a joke machine show. That's a show where they're getting, you know, there's, they are just burning through jokes left and right. You know, they're not sitting there trying to get Peter Griffin or Homer Simpson, a uh, heart moment there. You know, there might right. be one emotional moment where Homer's with Bart or Peter's with, you know, with Stewie or with Meg or something. Um, that you do, but that's not their focus. They'll do that. They're about like, all right, what's a He-Man joke for this? Or <laughs> what can we do? Uh, let's do a ColecoVision joke or an Intellivision joke. It's like you're finding it's joke machine stuff. So composition of those writers' rooms might be a little bit more like people that have had, you know, they, that are more, maybe less uh, worried about story and more about like pure jokes. So those rooms might have a different composition. For Undateable, um, it definitely diverse backgrounds big time i mean we had people from you know all whether whether it be ethnicities to sexual orientations to whatever everybody has a different kind of thing and um you know you made a a basketball reference earlier it's like it i was telling a buddy it is like a sports team you kind of go yeah that person's a great defender that person's a shooter that Mm -hmm. person's a you know that person right there is someone that controls the game you know you know that's a that's a 
a 25 and 10 player right there. You know, that's a guy, that's somebody that doesn't give you a lot of minutes, but is really great. Or, you know, so there's different things where you, you know, compositionally, I think that people fall into those roles in a room. And, uh, that's definitely something that is similar maybe to the drama in that where, you know, this person here is amazing with structure. You go, look, we got a lot of funny people here. They're going to be able to get jokes, but we need some people that can help us lift some you know, be able to track story mm-hmm. a little bit more, you know, more so than, and it tends to be people who are in the upper levels of a staff, you know, from the Kobe, KOIP and EP level, they tend to be people that are looking at the bigger picture and, you know, obviously they're funny as hell and they could do, you know, the joke stuff too, but their focus is about seeing the show actually get made. They're going to be there in editing. They're going to be there. So they're looking at it a little bit bigger um, where, you know, a staff writer might be more jokey, you know, mm-hmm. or somebody that's great with jokes because by experience, they maybe not, don't have a lot of produced credits or they haven't worked enough to be able to kind of see through the matrix yet and see like, Oh, that's that. And that won't play or that won't track. And, uh, so yeah, they, so they are really diverse in, in that way. And, and you get people, um, you know, a showrunner is going to, you're going to spend, uh, you know, roughly on average about 12 hours a day with these people. You better not hate anybody. Right. And you hope that they don't hate each other and you get a vibe. And I, I, you know, I know Bill's a big thing. Bill Lawrence's a big thing about not working with dicks. You know, that's his thing. It's like, <laughs> I want the dicks. And I get it. You could, I mean, there's people who are, you know, there's people who are, uh, you know, uh, that could be very, uh, you know, they could be very persnickety about comedy and they, they're very territorial or they feel like they're argumentative or that whatever. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you want to be able to produce a show in a reasonable amount of time for, uh, you know, a, a responsible budget. You don't want to sit there and argue over a dick joke for 10 hours because, you know, someone's sitting there uh, getting into it over this thing because they want to be right more than they want a successful show. So you need get people that have different things and, you know, some rooms that, you know, they could have someone that had their own show and now they're working on staff. So they're used to being the boss and now they're seeing things and they wouldn't do it that way. And maybe that changes the way that they kind of go about it. And maybe someone else is sitting there and they have uh, a strong opinion on a certain thing and, or they wrote a draft and they really love this joke more than that joke. And, and it takes a lot for that showrunner to be able to make those executive decisions. And so uh, at the end of the day, we're all teammates rowing in the direction of that, you know, coxswain telling us which way to row. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point, just grab your oar and go. It's not fucking, you know, let's not shit, let's shit around. And, and Undateable was wonderful that way. Everybody was able to, you know, of course, you could have disagreements about certain things and execution of certain things in different levels. But for the most part, everybody's like, when it was time, everybody gets their, you know, they lean into, they lean into getting, uh, going in the same direction, which is great. And that's not always the case. You get some of these shows that have been on the air for a long time and strong personalities and people that come in and blah, blah, blah. And they might have, uh, uh, you know, strong opinions and they're argumentative or maybe their personalities or, you know, comedy writers and comedians in general uh, are notoriously sensitive, <laughs> dysfunctional people. So you put enough of them <laughs> in a room, there's a good chance there's going to be that dysfunction is going to rear its ugly head and, and manifest itself in something that might be destructive to a writer's room. <laughs> but if you use it the right way, it could be hilarious. <laughs> so uh, it's like um, the force. Yes, exactly. It's very much like the force. You could sit there and uh, let anger and hate and suffering and uh, <laughs> and dictate it. You could be a really, you know, toxic room. And some people, you know, there's examples of people or showrunners that like that. They like that kind of um, environment. They, it's like a head coach in a football. It's like, oh, you're a Parcells guy. You're a screamer. Right. Or here's a guy that's a coach, you know, a player's coach that everybody loves and wants to hug the guy at the end of the game. And here's a guy that's a throwback or here's the hard ass guy and here's the you know um those that different kind of you know the joe madden the 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 manager of the uh the devil raids he's a thoughtful guy that's a player's guy everyone wants to hug him mm-hmm. and then you had guys that i love like bobby cox that you're like i'm oh, that guy's gonna kill me right. <laughs> like if i if i don't if i if i make an out to second base right now he's going to cut me <laughs> like right. not not cut me from the team like physically cut me with a blade so uh no uh, there's different showrunners that have that kind of management style so and that's something that's like, you know, I, I, we might've talked about this before, but is, um, you know, management, no one taught a comedy writer or, you know, even dramatic writer how to run a company and a show is a company. It's 250 employees. You know, you have different departments that are responsible for, you know, no one taught us that, 
no one taught, no one, I mean, they have showrunner programs at the WGA and it's like you can get mentored by people, but no one sat there and sat down with you and said, okay, you're now in charge of a $10 million company that's going to make 10 episodes of TV at a million dollars a piece. And you are responsible at the end of the day for what's on television. No one taught you how to manage human beings. And then you have, all right, now here's a production designer that has 10 Emmys and he knows better than you, but you're telling him what to do. Or here's a woman that's a costume designer and she's a, you know, she's uh she's going over budget with her thing and blah, blah, blah. No one taught us about that kind of stuff. So it's a hard job. It's a near impossible job. And it's not like you could go to college for that. It's kind of something you just do. You might have a natural uh, ability for, but no one's taught that kind of a thing. And so then what happens is, you know, your mind is, you know, you're in a writer's room and your mind is on five production problems and one actor's agent who's giving you shit on, you know, on your own three calls back and you know, that's going to be a disaster. And then you're not laughing at a joke in the room and everyone thinks you're a dick and you're hateful because you didn't right. do that. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about the bigger picture here, you know? So it's uh it's a pretty impossible kind of job. So I think, you know, for staff writers and people who are going into that situation, it's good to know or good to have an attitude of, hey, it's probably not about me. It's probably more about them trying to get the show on the rails. Right. So, uh, you know, you got to understand what they're up against and you are their staff. You know, he's the president or she's the president. You're chief of there's chief of staff and you're the secretary of this. And my job is to help them be successful and to know what that is. And that's not necessarily a skill set that everybody is born with they may develop or they might just be completely built not to be that way. So, um, but yeah, the, the chemistry of the room is incredibly, uh, important though. I mean, that's, like you said, if you're going to spend 10, 12, 15 hours with someone, you better like them or you're right. going to want to, you know, there's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be miserable. There's like jury be... duty. You're sequestered. <laughs> right. There's going to be bloodshed. Yeah. That yours are theirs. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So it's brutal. It could be brutal. So you use both a political reference as well as a <laughs> basketball reference to refer to a writer's room. So do you think you would be more of a shooting guard or do you think you'd be yeah. more like a, the, uh, a secretary of veterans affairs, perhaps? Uh, or how, like how do you fit I'm into the Judd, writer's room? I'm a Judd Bushler. No, uh, <laughs> no, the, uh, now, for me, I don't know. I mean, like on, on Indatable, I think that I could do a lot of different things. I, I kind of come from my... You know, I'm 43. I've been around. I have kids. I'm not sitting there to look to be there all day. Mm-hmm. I like to be a goofball. At the same time, I, I do room bits, and I'm a laugher, and I am just as good at procrastinating as anybody else is. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, my I worked with Bobby Bowman, who's a really, really funny, hell of a funny writer, who now works on The Millers, and he worked on Family Tools. He worked on he worked with Greg Garcia uh, for years on, um, on, on My Name is Earl and Raising Hope and stuff like that. He used to call like he used to call Cody P's on our one show uncles or aunts, mm-hmm. almost like they're number two. They're you know it's like uh, the underbosses in a certain way. And a lot of times I, I think that uh, maybe I was an uncle to this show, like in a way that I was able to. There was a lot of younger writers, and I could you know I would take a room with them and um, and Jackie, who I told you about, I think she was kind of an aunt. So the two of us were like an old you know goofy bickering aunt and uncle that made everybody laugh. And sometimes our role was to keep the room light when things got, you know, a little bit uh, frustrating. And sometimes it was our thing to, all right, it's time to um, dig in and start really figuring out uh, a scene here, or let's figure out what a problem is, or let's help Adam and Bill figure out what, you know, their way around the note. So, you know, you try to think of yourself as, you know, a Swiss army knife of those things where if you need me to do jokes, I'll do jokes. Uh, if you need me to take a room and bang out a scene, I can, I can manage that. If you need me to talk to somebody about, you know, if it's, you know, housekeeping, whereas you need you go in and tell, Hey, you might be pitching a lot, way too much to a younger writer that's being too eager. And, you know, the, or, Hey, can you go talk to this person or that person over there? Or, Hey, the actor likes you. We do down on stage and just kind of like try to massage them into the scene and blah, blah, blah. They like you or blah, blah, blah. Or the, you know, the studio knows you, would you be on the notes call? So, I think I was one of the guys that could do any of those things because of my experience in development and having to be kind of the boss in that way. And I don't feel territorial. I, I'm happy to let someone else be the boss. I love, I love being a soldier as much, but I also know what I can do. And so 
I think I was a little bit of a jack of all trades. I think most of the writers on, on Dateable were jack of all trades, to be honest. I, I think that some of the other rooms I've been in, I was like, yeah, that's a joke guy. Oh, that's a stage guy. That's a guy on stage is going to help you. He's going to help you with the physical production of this kind of stuff, or he's tracking story. Uh, I think that Bill and Adam assembled a, a group of people that could do it all. And it, that's what made it really fun is that you're looking at a lot of people who could play defense if you asked them to, or could push the ball or pull full court or, you know, let's bomb threes or let's play inside. It's like, we could kind of do it all. I felt like for the most part. So, um, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the way the composition of our room was, you know, and, and, and I'd like to think of myself as I could try to do anything. <laughs> I don't know how well I do any of them, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm willing to do them all. So, um, but, uh, you know, I think the alchemy of a writer's room is, is a, is something to be conscientious of because it's like a family, you know, you're super close to everybody. You get to know them really closely and people's personalities can clash and you, you know, people's personalities can get along and, you know, you got to be able to kind of um, sometimes be the adult and understand, kind of take a 10,000 view and kind of go, all right, well, this is what's going on. This is where we need to be. Um, maybe it's time to put away the kazoos and the, you know, and the whoopee <laughs> cushions and, and get to work. You know, right. so you got to kind of be a little bit of all those things and have a little awareness of what's up. But, uh, um, you know, like I said earlier, it was like, no one trained you to do this. No one sat there and said, Hey, when this happens, you do that. You know, it wasn't like that. You have to kind of just do it. And you either it's trial by fire. You either you could do it or you don't. And, um, so, um, yeah. Who thought that that would be that, you know, right. Weenie caca jokes that would be so complex when you're <laughs> the psychodrama <laughs> and makeup of a writer's room. Right. But, uh, it plays. It's part of it. So if you were the, a showrunner, would you be more Rex Ryan uh, or like a, a Phil, <laughs> Phil, Phil Jackson, maybe, or uh, right, <laughs> uh, like Ditka. I would be probably more like uh, I'd like to think I was Phil Jackson, Phil Zen. Um, yeah. I definitely wouldn't be uh, Belichick. Yeah, I'd I probably guess. be more the Rex Ryan guy, but I'd probably be uh, be able to do a little more offense. The <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, you know what it is? It's like it, it's it's you hire people. You know, if I'm in a lucky position to where I'm assembling a staff, uh, you have to do the, you know, it's, uh, you have to trust that these people could do what they could do. And, you know, I think that it, it all comes from the top with a vision of an idea, you know, and anyone, if you're writing a spec, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from, if someone's writing a spec, whether it's a pilot or a feature or a, you know, one hour, whatever it is, if you don't know what the show is or what the movie or the story is or what your intention is with this piece of material, how do you expect anybody else to, mm -hmm. you know? So it's that idea of like, Hey, this is going to be this and this style and blah, blah, blah. You got to be an authority on your own material. So if I'm a showrunner, I'm going to be an authority on my own material as well. That said, it's like, you know, the way that Bill and Adam command a respect and, you know, they're running the ship. I respect that. And I know what I'm, I need to do. So as a service to the people that I hire, as long as I'm pointing them in the right direction and making decisions and, and respecting them for their talent, um, it's incumbent upon me when I'm hiring them to make sure that I have that vibe from them, that they could do it, that I could, you know, you don't want to sit there and uh, monitor everybody's behavior and be like a, a school, you know, a school teacher. Um, but at the same time, you know, you also want to make sure that you, uh, if you hired these people to get you there, you got to trust them you know, and, and let them get there because, you know, there's, there's so many blind spots when you're developing something, you know, it's right. so many blind spots. You need that team behind you that covers your ass, you know? So someone could say, Hey man, you know what? This story's not going to make sense when this happens. And you're like, I did not see that at all. You need somebody that cares that way and, and can spot those spots for you. And you got to be conversely, you know, from my experience and, and perception, you got to be able to be aware of that and, and, and be, you know, so evolved enough to be able to recognize when, Hey man, I missed that one, you know, and that guy picked me up. Great. You know? So, uh, you know, I would hope to be someone that would be able to trust the people that I brought aboard, uh, in that sense. And, you know, when you've been doing it for a period of time, you kind of get a collection of people you've worked with and you know, and you know how they work. So hopefully that's why so many people hire their friends because they're like, oh, I, I know what they're going to give me. And they know they got my, best, they have my you know best interest in mind. So, so you'd be Jerry Glanville. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. You were sitting on that. I can see. I can hear you smiling with that one. Uh, <laughs> Glanville. I love that's a great. That's a I was, great reference. I, 
I actually swapped it out at the last minute. I was going to use Bum Phillips, but uh, oh, Bum Phillips is a sweet one. Bum yeah. Phillips is a sweet one. Glanville's a little more, a little more is the is the modern age, uh, is the modern age uh, Bum Phillips for sure. I, I always love like the NFL films uh, when you have Glanville. Those videos of Glanville, if you ever see him, look them up on YouTube or wherever you can find them on the old NFL films with him. Uh, talking to referees and stuff. It's fantastic. Yeah. His sideline banter is unbelievable. You're like, what is happening here? Who is this guy? So <laughs> I'll take it. I'll be a Glenville. That's fine. And it, well, so, <laughs> so then do you leave uh, tickets to uh, tapings of, of Undateable for Elvis? For every, Elvis, yes. That's right, Jimmy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He would leave things for Elvis in case he showed up. <laughs> I definitely will do that. That would definitely happen uh, for, uh, for Undateable this year. We'll put Elvis in there. We'll try to get somebody, you know. I'll do him for Tupac. That'll be it. Nice. I, 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 yeah, we'll get Tupac to the show. One of these days, he's going to show up in the front row. Where, where am I going to look like? Everyone's going to look idiotic, like idiotic except for me. I'll yeah. be sitting there smiling. <laughs> like I told you. Told you guys. <laughs> you guys all thought I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I thought was funny is that when you were answering a question about the composition of writers' rooms, you were able to, speaking of references, you were able to reference ColecoVision, He-Man, and The Matrix all on the same answer, <laughs> which was pretty impressive. Thank you. Pretty Thank you. It's, you'd think that, uh, yeah, and uh, you, and you wonder when my SAT scores were shit. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, if they knew how to ask the right things, I could have shown them that I was a genius. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's brilliant. No, you... I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's, I think a lot of comedy writers, for instance, are, is you get this reservoir of just, absolutely useless bullshit reference knowledge then you you know it stays up there and uh <laughs> it just comes out the weirdest way so that's hilarious <laughs> it's funny though because in in reservoir dogs i remember uh -huh. the conversation i think it's is it eric stoltz or tim roth or eric, whoever plays the uh, uh detective uh -huh. um uh, i was uh, tim roth was the undercover cop tim right? roth yeah talking yeah. to the uh, police captain or whoever it was Telling yeah. him, you know, you have to know your story. And what makes the story yeah. real is the little things. It's the details. Like the when you go details, get the soap, yeah. is it the liquid kind or is it that powdery grainy shit? And, you know, yeah, right. vision is, is, is the powdery grainy shit. It's the thing that, you know, I think sell, oh, yeah. you know, sell that joke or the story. So, no. Right. It's, it's, I mean, there's so much stuff. Like, I, I always say, like, detail. Comedy, like, for me, like, stuff that I really love and respond to is that detail is in there because that's the thing that makes it it almost feels like it's a little, it's almost like a jawbreaker and there's stuff inside of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just a rapid fire thing. Like I always think about like, uh, you know, vacation, you know, mm -hmm. Harold Ramis. And there's a line when, um, Anthony Michael Hall is they're at, they're at, uh, Randy Quaid's house. Right. And they stop at cousin Eddie's place. Mm -hmm. And his buddy has, uh, got a stack of nudie mags this, this high. Uh, and he's telling his cousin that, you know, that he, that he, that he's, he jerks off and has this big playboy collection. Right. And Anthony Michael Hall's wow. There's a joke in that. There's a line in there that always kills me. The kid says, a guy taught me something real neat last summer. <laughs> you ever bop your baloney? Just the bop your baloney is the joke. You ever bop your baloney? Right. A guy taught me something real neat last summer. <laughs> is a visual in my head of something, oh my gosh, this poor kid. Like, what happened there? <laughs> like, it suggests a theater of the mind that is so funny, and it's just in there. It's in the fabric of it. It's like a, it's like a you know, it's, it's like a, you know, looking at a, Looking at an old like uh, uh, manuscript from like um, uh, you know from a long time ago in the gilded edges of the page, they're just sitting there like you know they're called. This is my King James Bible, and it's how beautifully gilded the pages are. It's like <laughs> it's just little things like that that always kill me. And like growing up with like HBO and in the eighties and stuff like that, you saw so many of those movies and, you know, you know, everybody can quote Caddyshack and Stripes and all those movies that, you know, hell is, you know, what a brilliant man. And, and, uh, was, it kind of tends to be the Kevin Bacon of all those things. You could, oh yeah, he's been, you know, he's related to all those things. Those details are, are throughout those comedy and those lines. When you sit there and you have Bill Murray doing his, you know, Dalai Lama speech, as he's hitting the flowers at the, as a groundskeeper, mm -hmm. there's details in there. You know, there's all those kind of things are things that we really love. I mean, Step Brothers is one of my favorite modern, like no brainer comedies that you just laugh your ass off. And there's tons of those little things like, mm -hmm. you know, like, but dad, it's shark week. It's like, little things <laughs> like the, the idea that these guys, there's just, you know, even when they're having the job interview in tuxedos and, and they're just acting so stupid. And it's like, there's details in those jokes that, you know, wow. Yeah. They're, they're, 
wore tuxedos to a to a job interview, but it's it's the details in there and the jokes that 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 just uh, that stuff always makes it for me. That that's always like the stuff that just kills me. Right. Um, makes Hello, it memorable as opposed lady? to something anybody can write. It's kind of like you putting your little thumbprint on it with. Uh, you know, that Coleco reference is like, you right. know, you go, okay, cool. That's mine. Right. <laughs> you know, I could have mathematically or, or, you know, maybe thought of that joke or figured out how to tell a joke in that similar form. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, it's like everyone plays a D sharp, but maybe Stevie Ray Vaughan bends it just a little bit different. and makes it his own. You know, so right. you go, oh, yeah, that's his. Or, oh, that's a Hendrix. You know, they, everybody can play that note. And now I can play it like Jeff Beck or whoever. So, um, but yeah, the details, the details in comedy are, to me is just, uh, it's something that's, uh, it makes it delightful. So good. And talking about Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, you know, like, uh, yeah. their comedy, uh, stepbrother and stuff. Like, a lot of times you see the sort of behind the scenes and they'll do like 20 different takes yeah. of the same thing. They're just riffing on stuff and, and coming up with stuff and improving. Yeah. How much right. of that is done in TV or because you have such sort of a structure of the script that it has to sort of maintain some sort of integrity are they sort of more limited in what they can kind of riff on i think it's more limited yeah i think we're in a single camera show because Mm -hmm. you know if you're doing modern family they probably have more leeway because you know the guys who they are and they've proven that they could do it and eric stone street and ty burrell and you know and julie bond they're so funny they could you know they're probably there's a little more of that than there is in a traditional you know new show that might be coming out this fall or something like that for undateable i can speak for undateable we do a lot I mean, Bill loves to laugh and loves, and, and you know, when you have a bunch of stand-ups who are brilliantly funny to begin with, that's like having four extra writers, mm-hmm. four or five extra writers. So, for instance, for Chris D'Elia, um, Chris is a force of nature. I don't know if you, if you get a chance to see him perform, he's amazing. It's so much fun. He's just such a goofball, and he's so he's so animated, and he's just hilarious. He's a, and he's such a great dude. And and so, if we do. A lot of times we'd see it at, at, at a run-through, or table read would be pretty close to the script. First run-through, once you got with a director and you're, they did their, you know, the actors got to do their block and you do whatever, they'll find some stuff and do it for us or a line reading a certain way or they'll do their thing. Um, they'll definitely uh, encourage that with those guys after we kind of got what we needed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said, I was telling you, when you come to a taping, you'll see how fast it moves, but how much stuff is left on, on the floor from the final cut because of, um, because of the uh, um, nature of time, mm-hmm. like I, I, I did a I did an interview with Courtney Lilly, the writer I was telling you about, who's on our staff as a co-creator producer, is a brilliantly funny dude. He was on. Um, he and I did a, a thing together where we watched the show and then did an interview afterwards. And uh, we watched the show. It was our first time seeing the actual televised cut. And the hosts were watching the show with us and they'd watch it and we'd both go at the same time and go, oh, and they would go, wow, 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 wow. And it was because we knew that that scene went on, that bit went on for another three minutes of those guys riffing. And it was like drop dead hilarious on the stage and it's just, it had to get cut short. So you Mm -hmm. go, oh, like our reactions were, oh, oh, fuck, we didn't get to see, oh, remember that? Like we were remembering, God, those guys improvised for another like three minutes and it was hilarious. So, um, we, you know, Bill was very cool about like making sure that those guys had the leeway to be able to do that kind of stuff within reason. And, you know, I think it goes from show to show. If you get somebody that, um, maybe is an experience with comedy or that this is, um, you know, they don't have a background of performing that kind of a certain way, you know, you might be a little less, you might want them to be, to stick to, you know, stick to the script a little bit more when it's taught someone like with Will Ferrell and Adam McKay and John Riley and all those guys, you know that those guys do a trillion things. <laughs> they do a trillion things, and they're all writers themselves. So in a way, it's almost writing on the floor the same way that we do in between takes, where it's like, all right, we got that. Does anyone have an alternate joke for, you know, X, Y, and Z? That scene there, that thing. Oh, what about this? What about that? Oh, let's try that. Boom. So it's the same thing. We just had the actors doing it, which is which is a really cool luxury for a natable. And, uh, you know, uh, those guys are, uh, they're they're just, they're great. And they're all friends, so it's like you don't, I mentioned before, they have, they know, they have the book on each other. They know what will make the other guy laugh. They know it'll be funny. <laughs> so their, their batting average is incredibly high. Mm-hmm. So we would try something and a lot of times their bits are what is on the final cut mm-hmm. because there's an energy to it too. And, and multi-camera has that energy and that fun. It's like when you watch friends, 
like watch friends, you'll see things when Lisa Kudrow delivers a joke and you'll, they'll cut to um, Matt Perry or one of the other actors laughing legitimately mm-hmm. at the person and right. they keep it. And it might not be like, Oh, you know what? If I sat there and got really crazy about attitudes and whatever, he shouldn't be laughing there, but there's something about the joy of, a live stage show that's part of it that you feel it's that Carol Burnett vibe where you're like, they're having as much fun as I am and right. I want to have as much fun as they're having. And uh, so, so uh, that energy and that kind of stuff, sometimes those takes are just, just frankly better than the written ones. So, you know, but a lot of times the written ones are better than their improv. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's what works at the time and what's the, you know, best idea is when. Right. So, and best take. If someone comes in with something and Rick Glassman comes in with a joke that's just a murder, kills a joke. I mean, I don't think there's a person on our staff that wouldn't wouldn't sit there and, and let that win win over their joke when they know they always defer, you know, to what's the funniest. So for sure. So let's see. Other than undateable, what comedy, what what are you watching? What's what should I be watching? What's funny? Thirty Rocks uh, well, Over. You know um I know, there's so much crazy stuff. Well, I have been a Chris Lilly, I don't know, people, I mean, it's, it's, uh, he does the Summer High Tie and Jonah from Tonga and Jamee. They're all on HBO. He's an Australian guy huh. who writes, performs, and directs. I think the guy's brilliant and no one talks about the guy. I mean, obviously, he has an HBO show, so people are talking about him. But when I talk to my comedy nerd friends and they're saying, oh, it's this and that and the other, we all, I always go, can you believe this guy? He played three characters in a show and, and Summer High Tide was on a few years ago, and I think he had another one called, uh, um, oh my God, another one, I can't remember the name of it. But he'll play like three characters, and it's just a brilliant, funny thing and different, and he directs them and writes them and, you know, plays three characters in something in, in different makeup. And then he, But his casting, is he kind of casts like, he's out of Australia, so he'll cast like real Maori kids and real, like authentic, like Tongans and, uh-huh. and, and people that feel like, you know, he's in a school, so like they're, they're the uh, supervising counselor, the tough guy counselor, feels like a guy that was my counselor in high school. It feels <laughs> like he casts authentic guys, and I think right. he his rule is, and I don't know how he does it because some of these people, I'm like that guy's brilliant, and uh, but he just probably gets real people and does it and improvises off of them. He's so good. Right. So anything Chris Lilly does, I think is brilliant. Um, I still think the league is hilarious. Those guys are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonny, always Sonny is just a juggernaut. It's just always funny and delightful, whether it's wacky and, and stuff like that. Um, i trying to think of the new stuff um, that's out there. I'm, I'm probably drawing a blank, but the, uh, um, God, what is out there? Anything, I mean, God, it, I, after Eastbound and Down, I've been so buried in my own stuff. I haven't been like, and comedy is just kind of an interesting thing. Someone else was talking to me about this the other day. We had some friends over. One of them's a comedy writer, and his wife's an actress, and and she's on a you know director's been in a billion things, and they were asking the same questions like, "What are you watching?" And they're like, "I don't watch comedy a lot because it makes me anxious. It's oh. like watching you know, it's like if I'm a, if I just spent a bunch of hours in the OR and then I'm going to go home and watch a medical thing, I'm right. like, ah, it doesn't feel like I'm getting away from it. Right. So in a way, I like watching stuff that's completely out of my genre. So I'll watch you know. Uh, you know, then I'll go back and rewatch The Wire, The Shield, or you know, go watch uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a British series, or go watch Sherlock again, or something like that. So mm-hmm. I tend to watch stuff outside of that genre and appreciate that stuff for that stuff. But like comedy makes me, for the most part, makes me feel anxious. I go, it feels a, you know, oh man, I feel like I'm watching, you know. But there's such good stuff. Brooklyn Nine Nine's hilarious. Yeah, and I feel like it's getting better and better. Yeah. Um, I just think there's a lot of really uh, good stuff out there. I think this fall we'll have a few breakouts as well. Right. But um, yeah. But uh, it's uh, if I think of something, I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm blanking on it, but some, but anything by Chris Lilly, I, I have to say, uh, there's some misses in there and some stuff that he does. But if you watch, even just watch Summer High Tie, which he made a couple of years ago, uh, I would I would put that up against anybody's thing and say like I dare you to beat this. This guy's fucking hilarious. I will so, definitely. You have to check him out. I, I, yeah, I'm he like, plays three. He plays a, 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 a like a Tongan boy named Jonah, who is like a delinquent at the school. He plays Mr. G, who's very much like uh, uh, who's a who's like a very flamboyant drama director. Uh, uh, he's an assistant, like assistant director. He's not even the head one right. at this school, and he's very much like um, uh, Chris Guest in uh, Waiting for Guffman. Like very like flamboyant, silly guy, and like doing. 
theater. And then he's got Jamee, who's this girl that transferred into the public school from the private school, who's just uh, absolute, just a bitch. Mm-hmm. But she's an elitist bitch. And he plays all three, and they, they weave the story together. And it's just, there's some jokes in there. I'm like, wow, nice job. <laughs> Way to do it. Way to trailblaze for us. It's pretty awesome. Funny. I watch uh, Key and Peele. I love Key and Peele. Um, Those guys are hilarious. Yeah. They're so goddamn funny. And then uh, They're Louis. They're so great. You watch Louis? Oh, Louis's great. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, Louis's just awesome. Louis, for me, like, there's times where, you know what's brilliant about it? It's like, there's times where I don't sit there and go, wow, that was the funniest thing I've seen or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you can't deny his, like, this guy's getting to do exactly what he wants to do. Sure. So, in a way that you'd sit there and watch, like, you know, an author or a, a musician that you, re- you, you respect, you know, like David Bowie or like Dylan or whoever it is, they've earned the right by, by the thing to be able to do whatever the hell they want and we'll catch up. You know, if mm-hmm. Neil Young wants to go and do something, he wants to do a hip-hop album, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt before I sit there and say, you're not doing a hip-hop album. You know right. what I mean? But, like, Louie's that guy. He's so smart and so funny, and his show is so good. I think that when uh, he takes a he takes a swing at a subject in one of his episodes that maybe isn't as, like, dropped it hilarious, but it's poignant as hell and really mm-hmm. good, uh, I just, he's got my, I'm, I'm in, you know? Right. He's just such a brilliant guy, and it's cool to, the auteurs in a way, and the same way that you see an independent filmmaker, you know, like a Nick Cassavetes or somebody would sit there and they'd be there saying, you go, wow, it's a, he really is an artist. And I just think his show is, 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 is the best. I'm, it's, we're better for it being on the air. It just becomes like a block of something that everybody can aspire to and wish that they had that deal and be that funny and, you know, have that, just be that good. So, but it's great. And Key and Peele, those guys, those guys are so funny and so great. And it's like, I did a present, I did something this last summer um i did a pilot presentation thing and our crew was a lot of the key and peel crew oh. and they were amazing they were so fast and mm-hmm. i was like you guys are unreal like we did like 60 setups in two days it's like really crazy and we did this kind of this nutty thing and it was just they were so fast and, it, and they would say like that's because we're so used to like key and peel <laughs> and how quick that those guys move and they're so fast so like you have to it's like or fall by the wayside he's like when they were doing the football names, like the famous football names one, mm-hmm. it was just like a box of wigs and they just were doing it and going in and just making them up on the spot. And when I think about it and I hear that behind the scenes, I just go, Oh my God, that's just, that is just absolutely, um, that just, that just makes me go, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that funny. <laughs> no way I'm that talented. So, um, but, uh, yeah, pretty crazy. No, it's awesome. Yeah. And I heard that Louis got, when he, got his deal to, to make his pilot. He didn't have a script and yeah. they just gave him a check and he's like, okay, I'll send you the, the pilot. And that was, that was yeah. the agreement. There was no oversight. There was yeah. no notes. There was no, he just sent him a pilot. That's, That's my what pilot. I heard. He said, I already said, what's the most you could pay me without you meddling. I get on the air without yeah. meddling, giving me notes, whatever they gave a fee. And he said, that'll be it. Then. And uh, that's how he did it. Yeah, so if that's, crazy. I mean, like, that's, I mean, talk about a guy that bets on himself and he does it all himself and he's very, um, you know, I think he's got, he, he kind of uh, refers to a few people in his acceptance speech. I think he's referred to a few people that help him out and I think he, you know, obviously bounces things off certain people. So even someone like that, that's that brilliant and that, you know, singular vision and stuff like that still has a network of people around him that, uh, who, you know, who are, uh, who are, uh, uh, you know, that, that are their, you know, their, their consortium of people that are trusted, that they want to still, you know, check for blind spots, as we talked about earlier, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and he, uh, he always, he does a great thing also with, um, he'll take a stand up that, like, a guy like Doug Stanhope, who isn't the most accessible person, you know, he's a great stand up and a really funny touring comic, and people know who he is, but he's like this dark, kind of, you know, broody comic. He's not like a bright, his comedy isn't bright and feel good. It's not something that you'd see on the Tonight Show per se as much. You may probably see more on Conan or something. It's a darker, more alternative kind of vibe. And Louis will take a guy like that, or someone on the other end of the scale, like a Dane Cook, who or Carlos Mencia, or somebody who is more on the populist side at the time, and flip them on their head in his episodes and make them the other way. Mm-hmm. Or he'll make, uh, you know, he'll make uh, Stanhope in one of his episodes is like, help me commit suicide. <laughs> like he kind of leaned into Doug's thing, right. into his whole thing. So he's brilliant with that stuff. So, um, yeah, for sure. He just, there's so much stuff that he does perfectly. So yeah, pretty wild. 
And just the fact that you would mention that he still has people that he relies on to bounce ideas and things off, jokes yeah. off, whatever. And, and yeah. Just going back to like Vince Gilligan, and I had heard that he really beats himself up over getting things just right. And to me, yeah. the fact that these guys, who are both brilliant geniuses and respectively, right. still have the same sort of doubts and, and inner conflicts yeah. about the material <laughs> that the rest of us have is, is sort of right. reassuring in a sort of a weird, twisted way, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what's so great, like, with your, you know, your, your uh, you know, your with scripts and scribes and stuff like that. I think that for someone coming up there, you know, someone's, you know, maybe they're trying to break in or they just got their first job or whatever. It's such a great service for them to hear people that are a little further down the line mm-hmm. uh, relate to the struggles and stuff that they go through and feel like, you know, like I imagine if I sat with someone way down the line, like a Steve Gallion or somebody that's amazing, mm-hmm. you know, someone I would really look up to, I would sit there and they would say the same things that they struggle with some similar things that I do Mm -hmm. in a certain way. And I would go, God, really you do. And that, you know, that, that kind of, uh, you know, fellowship of, of writers and, and them sharing how difficult the experience is and how absolutely brutal it can be and how, you know, I mean, writing is a very confrontational thing. I mean, we're constantly, you're trying to drown out the voice that says this sucks over and over again, just to get through something. And you go back and it does suck and you have to rewrite it. And it's, it's like really just, it's like doing triage on yourself. You know, you're sitting there going in and pulling the bullet out of your own leg that you shot. You know, so you're going, oh, fuck. Right. It hurts, and I got to keep doing it, and I got to get the bullet out that I put in there, and, and I got to do this, that, and the other. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's brutal. So, you know, uh, to have, to hear people uh, that are further down the line that you admire a lot, whether they be, you know, super successful feature writers or television writers, and have them uh, kind of express the same kind of, things that we all struggle with at our you know puny level is a pretty cool thing i think it, it does a lot for our souls to kind of go yeah take it easy man just keep going just keep going you know right so uh you know there and you know there's exceptions to every rule and there's those guys out there that you know bang out a <laughs> they bang out a perfect draft the first time out you know mm-hmm. your tom stoppards and your guys like that <laughs> right. and it's like well cool for every one of those guys maybe there's a guy that's a little more like me is a little bit more of a knucklehead who you know uh, it, it doesn't come as easy as that. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's helpful to have these kind of, you know, this access to writers and people and producers that have that. So, um, no, it's, it's pretty great. And so uh, Craig Doyle's lesson for the day is <laughs> writing is like shooting yourself in the leg and then performing surgery on yourself to get the slug out. But it's OK <laughs> because Vince Gilligan and Louis C.K. do the same thing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't know what they might use a lighter caliber. Right. Uh, you know, it depends. We can take the metaphor as far as we want. Right. But uh, yes, I, I, that's the takeaway. People, go shoot yourselves. That's yes. what I'm asking you to do, listeners. Go kill yourselves with our shoot yourself with a gun. Yeah, it's it's agonizing and, and awful, but uh, don't worry because we all go through the same same agony. We go through the same thing by choice. Right. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> your right. servers and waiters. Yeah. <laughs> don't keep walking into the same punch. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody. Uh, oh, so funny. It's like lemmings off the cliff. Um, Absolutely. Oh yeah. my God. So so true. So true. <laughs> so thanks, Greg. Right. Um, I, oh, I, dude, anytime, Kevin. So it's been awesome. So uh, what's your, because I know there's a fake Craig Doyle out there. So you're at the Craig Doyle, correct? At the Craig Doyle. Yes. Yes. I, I gave myself a V so I could be a little special. So people, I mean, maybe one of these days I'll, 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 I'll eclipse that dude and he'll be, uh, he'll have to become, you know, uh, he'll be, uh, I'm, I'm after that guy. I'm going to get him. Right. Well, I think. <laughs> I just think that those three letters put you above him anyway, because he's Craig Doyle. But I you're think so. the Craig Doyle. So I mean, that's yeah. just you've already yeah, taken. He doesn't have a chance. I'm mm. telling you, the writers always win. And see the power of words, three power. letters, and I'm already over the deal. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. We'll talk soon, hopefully. Uh, Absolutely, man. And I definitely always want to reach out to uh, Dave when we start shooting. Uh, he definitely come out and uh, uh, take it in. And uh, you, I think you'd uh, have a lot of fun watching uh, watching how they you know make the make the sausage, as they say. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculously stupid sausage. <laughs> in, in most situations, <laughs> you don't want to see how the sausage is made, but I yes, think comedy exactly. you do. I think comedy you do. It's their fun night, so it's yeah. a lot of fun. Because you're uh, not looking fun, at yeah. the 
you know, entrails and horse hooves being crammed yeah, into a, not a the neck. an intestine. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, this is you, you get to to laugh at all the jokes that don't make it. Yes, exactly, exactly. The plus. So, but dude, thanks for having me. As always, man, you're you're awesome, and I love the, I love the show. So yeah. it's uh, it's fun to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate. It. No, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Awesome, man. Awesome, buddy. Cool. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, yeah, well, uh, take care. And then uh, hopefully when we get to data, we'll back up on the speed. We can talk again. Maybe we'll have some new stories and, and new insights. And I could I could count, uh, contradict everything that I've said as I've rambled for the last two hours. Right. <laughs> I come back and go, no, I was totally wrong there. You're, you're flipping, uh, <laughs> flipping out at actors for, for improving and No, they're terrible. <laughs> actors, no. They got to do the script. And, uh, no, Stick to the script. How many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> Comedy rooms are serious. All right, man. <laughs> All right, man. As always, we end on a, on a tangent. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that is the description scribed way. Uh, <laughs> Kevin and Craig, we always wander out onto a weird branch and end, uh, end there. That's, that's great. Yeah, and then we uh, always have to take one, fun. one more leap into a hole or something <laughs> <laughs> after falling out of the tree. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, Hilarious. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, it's great talking to you again, man. And um, uh, and I'll be in touch, and we'll uh, get you out to a show. Sounds good. All right, man. Thanks. All right, bro. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye.